Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome in to episode 239 of the Sources Say podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. Sources Say is, as always, presented by our good friends at Justice Dental. Visit one of their two Lexington locations. That's on Blazer Parkway and Wellington Way by scheduling an appointment online at justicedental.com or by calling 859-543-0700. You can even send a text message to one of their friendly team members at the same number to ask a question or make an appointment. Now is a great time to schedule your dental cleaning. Dr. Thompson, Dr. Justice, and their team strive to provide you with good oral health and a comfortable environment. Justice Dental Team looks forward to seeing you soon. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again by Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. Sean, how the heck are you? I'm fantastic, Jack. How are you? Oh, I am living the dream. We have a sweep on our hands for the first time since 2011-2012. The Kentucky Wildcats have beaten the Tennessee Volunteers in back-to-back performances, both at home and away. An unbelievable effort after just uh, what a difference a week makes, Sean. We were sitting here a week ago saying this team's out of the NCAA tournament. There's no uh, way that, that, that we can be optimistic about this. That they, They're not cohesive. They're not playing together as a team. And I don't know how we can even look at, you know, look at postseason play as a realistic option at this point. And now one week later, here we are talking about quad one wins. They now have four on the year. And uh, here we are, uh, four games left in the regular season and all things are looking up. Yeah, I didn't get to talk about the Mississippi State win, but after Georgia, I even tweeted how it kind of felt like we were nearing the end of, you know, John Calipari at Kentucky if, if things didn't shift and, and change drastically because at that point they were out of the NCAA tournament. And honestly, Jack, I, I didn't have much hope that they were going to play their way back in. And, and they get in – to me, if you had told us, what, a month ago that the, the team that they would sweep in the league would be Tennessee, I probably would have said there's no way. I said maybe a win at Rupp Arena and a loss in Knoxville, but they go out and they controlled both games, really. Uh, especially this last one, a, a really impressive win on the hills of the win versus Mississippi State. Then they pick up some help from Texas A&M as well. And you're starting to put together something that we have not been able to talk about. And that's an NCAA tournament resume, and there's still more opportunities. So it was a huge win, huge step in the right direction. A lot of guys played well and uh, got some guys really stepping into roles and making differences, especially this week. And, and I do want to make it clear that the pessimism was justified. Like I know it's easy to it look back and, you know, in hindsight and go, Oh, look how ridiculous these morons sounded. Like a week ago, we were waking up saying this team is one in seven in quad one games. And where were those wins coming from? Cal, you know, was talking, Cal was talking to the podium about, uh, yeah, uh, we have all these quad opportunities to cl- close out the regular season. And all you know, we, there are plenty of chances to, to get right the ship. Oscar Shibway was talking about the team's fight and, uh, oh yeah, if we just show some fight then we'll be able to uh, finish a year with a special season, we know that this is a special team, this and that, but 
with six regular season games to go, they were one in seven in quad one games. They had a quad four loss at home against South Carolina. Where was that optimism coming from? They did have the opportunities, but why did you think that it was going to magically get fixed in those last six games? And to their credit, they did go on the road at Starkville. And as you said, controlled that one. Uh, should have beaten them by more. I mean, they were up by 13 with 10 minutes to go. That should have been a, a bigger statement win, but they still played well, all things considered. And then you go and make a statement at home against Tennessee uh, for that sweep and, you know, get back-to-back quad one wins. You're now at four and seven in quad one opportunities because that Texas A&M game slipped into quad one territory. And now you win at Florida against Auburn at home and Arkansas on the road. And you're 500 in quad one opportunities with opportunities and with opportunities in the sec tournament too. Like, is, I mean, is this going to be a team? Like, I don't want to get too far ahead of us, but is this going to be a team at one point that like you said, was one and seven in quad one. And then we're going to look up here in a few weeks and are they going to be above 500 in quad one? I I mean, that's the thing though. You, they had opportunities. They had let a lot of really good opportunities slip away. Arkansas at Rupp arena, you had Kansas at Rupp Arena. There were so many of those games that would have shifted this sooner than what it has shifted, and they just couldn't get it. But then what do, what do we talk about every single season? It You want to be playing your best basketball late, and it's getting late. You got a couple of weeks left. They've had a lot of close wins. I thought the most impressive thing about Saturday to me is, you know Tennessee walked into Rupp Arena wanting some revenge for that loss a month ago. And Kentucky never even allowed it to really have an opportunity. Like that first half, it was ugly early, but Kentucky held Tennessee in check. Kentucky continued to score. It's a team that is becoming more efficient offensively over the course of the last month, which is something, honestly, I think that's probably another thing that surprised me is how efficient they've been on that in the floor because we had a lot of criticism for the way that they were running offense early in the year. Uh, defensively, they still have some things, I think, to, to kind of to fix, but they're getting better there as well. And I think it's a team that's trending in the right direction, playing shorthanded, playing guys a lot of minutes. Uh, Kaysen didn't have a good game at Georgia a week ago. Huge games and a huge game against Tennessee that really put Kentucky a step in the right direction. Yeah, you, you put it best. They're shorthanded down C.J. Frederick and Sabir Wheeler. But in his place, Kaysen Wallace goes 16 points, six assists, six rebounds, uh, one one steal, three turnovers in 39 minutes. And Chris Livingston, really the star of the show the last week, he wins SEC Freshman of the Week. Uh, honors, uh, he goes for 12 points, 10 rebounds, four or five shooting. Uh, he misses four free throws in the second half. Really the only kind of flaw about, about his performance. Uh, and then he had a strong outing uh, in Starkville as well. John Calipari's best teams have his blue chip freshman playing their best basketball by the end of the year. And now – as you're seeing with this team, Chris Livingston's finally finding his groove. Groove. Casey Wallace as a playmaker is emerging uh, as the guy that we kind of knew that he could be once the keys were handed to him. It was about all right, dude. You got to do this. About you know, you have the opportunity now, and now it's on you to take advantage of it. And he has absolutely done that. I think he's been brilliant as a playmaker, as a distributor, as a uh, as a facilitator. He's been just phenomenal in the pick and roll. Him and Oscar have really found some uh, momentum and some rhythm there. Uh, and I think those two together, Kayson and, and Chris Livingston, I think we could see Kentucky run everything through them and, and kind of be a, a freshman-driven team in March Madness. And that's exactly how John Calipari's team should be uh, at this time of the year. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, he hit some tough shots, Kayson did, especially in the first half there, some pull-up jumpers. And then uh, the and one there early in the second half, and you, you saw the emotion from him. 
And you know, that's something we talked about all season. At, at some point, he was going to be handed the keys. I think it happened sooner than maybe what we expected, uh, given the the injuries and things that Sabir has dealt with this year. But it forced Kaysen into that role. And at times, I think uh, he, he didn't look too comfortable in it, but he is starting to get very comfortable in that star role uh, for Kentucky. And uh, I thought the the execution and stuff that John Calipari and the coaching staff come up with with posting him in, on some plays, on some of Tennessee's smaller guards, especially Zakai Ziegler, I, I thought that that was a really good – wrinkle that Kentucky added for this game and the way the physicality that Kaysen plays with and, and inside four or five feet, I thought that was a really good adjustment, paying attention to the scouting report and really got Kentucky going at times as well. And uh, I mean, it's a huge win, Jack. I mean, this is this is a big step in the right direction. They're receiving votes in polls now, something that I didn't know if they would ever get back to this year. And uh, here they are. I mean, this, this is a team now that you don't want to say – the way they are in the SEC standings, it would take a – they'd have to fall completely apart, in my opinion, the next couple of weeks to play their way out. They played their way in. Now it's about improving some seating. Like, how high can you go? Like, you're starting to see nines and things like that. And a few weeks ago, it was an 11. And, I mean, you're, you can play your way up the, the seating chart, but the way you're looking at this now is just continue to play good basketball, continue to find ways to win, get healthy. We know they're going to need those two guys. They're, the depth, the depth is what's my biggest concern. Is do these guys get really tired down the stretch here, playing a ton of minutes, because they need those other two backcourt pieces. I mean, there, there's some so, lineups you got to see creative the other day. What was one guard with Jacob Toppin and Chris Livingston, and like, you're, it was Chris the lineup. Was the it was the lineups that we were looking at like months ago, saying just barf. Like, please don't show me this. But he had no option but to play them. And so credit I, to the coaching I, staff. I thought it was a great. Great job all the way around. So I guess I'll just put it out there, you know, what what I'm hearing about the injuries and uh, when we're expected to get guys back. I still am hearing that the expectation is um, that C.J. Frederick is supposed to be returned to practice this week, and then he is he will be out at Florida and then uh, very likely to return at home against Auburn. So to get that guy back at minimum, minimum to just get spacing back where it needs to be, add another shooter to the floor, uh, I think that's going to be a huge help for, you know, just – helping things run a little bit better, not be some one-dimensional and not kind of put you in, in a pickle like you saw. I think that lineup was uh, at one point, Kaysen, Chris Livingston, Jacob Toppin at the three. Um, was it Damian Collins Damian, at the four? Yeah. Uh, Oscar the five? Yeah, I believe so. And it was like, uh, God, how, wow. how long can you make this work? But it worked. Good, good, good thing we don't need to figure that out for very much longer. So CJ is expected back uh, next week or th this coming weekend, which is going to be huge for uh, spacing and things like that. Savir is still a little bit more of a question mark. Uh, here's the deal with Savir. And I know all the rumors going on. You know, he's quit the team. He's, uh, you, you know, not wanting to be a part of this anymore. You know, all those things. I'm told all that's not true or he's suspended. None of that. Like, they, definitely not the case. Somebody, you know. I was told that had he been kicked off the team or he was suspended or he was being some type of locker room disruption, he would have been sent home. Like Cal doesn't have this, you know, letting disgruntled guys ruin his locker room, especially like leading up to March. So he's not suspended. He's not disgruntled, all, all those things. But I will say there isn't a rush for a guy who comes back to play nine, 10, 12 minutes, you know, on, on him personally, you know, John, uh, Sean, if, if 
you were in his shoes and you knew that you were going to be rushing back to the floor on a high ankle sprain, knowing that Kaysen, it's Kaysen's team, the freshmen are playing well, everything's kind of working together pretty well right now. Do you really want to thrust yourself in there and, you know, rush yourself back to play eight minutes? No. So that's no. that's the predicament that Xavier is in right now, that, yes, his goal is to play this season, and he does, you know, this is a real injury, and, and the plan is for him to return at some point. And I'm, I, I was told that it was supposed to be during the regular season uh, before postseason play, you know, at least get him back to get playing where he needs to in postseason play. But if you think about it, you know, risk-reward – why is he going to overdo it initially for the reward of playing seven, eight minutes with Case and playing 38? So I think that when there's more of a happy medium where he is well enough to come back and play 15 minutes, 15, 17 minutes, I think that's when we're where we see him play. So I think it won't be immediately. I think it probably won't be the next game or two, but I think the goal is to get him back by the end of the regular season and definitely in time for postseason play. So that's all that matters. You got to get both of them back by the time March Madness rolls around, and I think that's that is the goal and the expectation right now. Yep, you need the depth. That that's the biggest thing. You need depth, especially in the backcourt. Uh, you you can't afford another injury at that spot. I mean, regardless of who it's to. I mean, even you couldn't afford one right now to a the arrow. I mean, you need every single capable body on this roster to uh, kind of push your way into SEC tournament play and NCAA tournament play. But you made a point there a minute ago talking about the freshmen. And I think I can't remember which episode it was. It might have been after the loss to Alabama that, that I was talking about the freshman and that the biggest thing that I wanted to see was you're, you're talking about, we were talking about all these older players that they have, these guys that they've got from the portal. Oscar Shibway is who he is at this point. You know, Savir is who he, who he is, CJ Frederick. But the freshmen were the two that had the most development in them and kind of star potential. You're seeing that now, right? You're seeing Kaysen emerge and take over as that lead guard. You're seeing Chris Livingston, who I think his emergence in, in recent games is probably the biggest takeaway for me. I thought he was dominant on the glass Saturday and uh, was a warrior, honestly. That's what I would describe him as and made a lot of tough plays. Those two kind of stepping forward and playing those key roles, those are some of the best John Calipari teams is when the freshmen lead. And then you see the other pieces, the other veteran pieces kind of chip in and do their thing. So I think that might be the biggest shift is their freshmen are becoming stars and difference makers. And I think that's the big key to success here as you get closer to the, to the NCAA tournament because those two are going to continue to get better and better where some other guys I think have actually capped at this point in their career. They're still good players, but those two are still oozing with tons of potential and can add to that over the course of the next four weeks. And I like that development can't be understated because a month ago, like I'm here to tell you guys, Chris had his bags packed, ready to hit the portal by the the second the season ended. Things were not very good. Like, and he, I mean, just this out this past game uh, after the Tennessee win, he said very publicly, said, "I I'm here to tell you that I was not happy go lucky personality. Like I was pissed off, and he should have been like." When, when you are a guy like Chris Livingston, you're the 2022 uh, Gatorade Virginia Player of the Year. You average 38, 17, 10, you know, whatever his stats were as a junior. He has always been the guy. As a senior at Oak Hill, a, a prestigious school playing under Steve Smith, who's a Hall of Fame, one of the greatest high school coaches ever. When, when he's finding success and, and elite success at both of those stops, you expect to come in and be immediate, you know, that immediate difference maker at the collegiate level. And when you are watching your team struggle 
while you're sitting on the bench knowing who you were in high school, of course you're going to be disgruntled. Of course you're going to be discontent and, you know, kind of be sitting there and going, what the hell, man? Like, I am who I am. I dominated in high school. I took games over by myself. Why don't you let me do that? Why can't I be that guy on this team? And there was kind of that, you know, pushback on Kentucky's end where it's like, buddy, you're not ready. Yet. You're, you haven't developed to the point of, of getting there. So it was kind of an accountability thing for both for both sides where Chris kind of needed to accept the role that maybe it wasn't going to be as a primary ball handler, jack up 15 shots a game and be the, the guy. But you know, still have uh, on Kentucky's and expand his role, let him play through some of those mistakes that he wasn't getting before and, and kind of finding that happy medium. And I think both sides have found that. And I think that's why we've seen this breakthrough. And I do. And there are a couple questions in here about, uh, you know, what the chances are of, of him hitting the portal, what time, you know, if he comes back or what his draft status is, there was one, um, yeah, said, is, is Chris's recent play good enough for him to play himself into the draft and his clutch backing? Or is it, or is Kyle Tucker right about his chance that he comes back? Uh, yeah, I do think that the chances of him coming back are exponentially higher than they were. A, a, like, it was a 100% lock a month ago that he was he was not coming back to this Kentucky team. I think that both sides have looked at themselves in the mirror, and I think we have had a very real breakthrough in terms of production, but also, you know, personally uh, by themselves of, of what the, the other needs out of the uh, out of the other. So I do think that the chances of him coming back or at least, you know, not hitting the portal uh, are exponentially higher. I still think there's a lot of work to be done, and I, I think there's a lot of season left to go for things to kind of go south again. So don't just pencil him in back for next season. I also wouldn't be shocked if he continues to develop that he does go pro because that was his dream going into this is to be a one and done. He's, you know, dreamed of being LeBron James signed with clutch. You know, he wanted to be that one and done instant impact, instant impact guy. And if he plays himself into contention, Sean, I wouldn't be shocked to see Chris go, but we're at least back in comfort zone of it's not the lock that it was a month ago that we can at least kind of start talking about him coming back more. So forget about next year and what he does his presence on this team and the impact that he make he can make on this team is bigger than any of that. So it is. Yeah. the break, the on-court breakthrough is the biggest part of all of this. Yeah. And, and you started to see it little by little in spurts, like early in the Kansas game, I thought he had a really good moments and then, you know, it didn't play a ton of minutes the, the rest of the way. And then that, that wasn't the only time that that happened, but this is where you don't, you don't want to take positives from being shorthanded. But then again, like if CJ and Sabir hadn't missed some time, would we be seeing the emergence of Chris? Would he been able to play the same amount of minutes that he's been called upon to play in recent games and in recent weeks? Would we be seeing the emergence of, of some of the other guys on this roster? But forcing them to play significant minutes and being called upon to let guys, honestly, here's the big thing with Cal, play through some mistakes might have been one of the most key important things that have happened in recent weeks. And then you get these other guys back healthy and now you've got a you've got multiple guys with confidence playing well. You can work those two back in. Uh, we both know that CJ Frederick and Xavier Wheeler will have roles on this team that are important, especially CJ. They need another guy that can make shots, especially wide open shots. Uh, but another guy that stands out to me too, and it showed up in my Facebook memories today, and I shared it. We, you and I, two years ago talked about Jacob Toppin being an important long term piece of this program, and at times it's kind of been like. You know, is Jacob ever going to scratch that surface of the potential that we talked about during the COVID season? Jack, 10 straight games in double figures, quietly playing some of the best basketball of his career, 
and I thought he made some really athletic plays and finishes near the rim the other day and doing some good things. And you pair him with what you're getting out of Chris in that three, four spot, whatever they're playing at the time is starting to become a stronger piece to this roster that maybe we didn't see a month ago. Yeah, his breakthrough has been huge and, and absolutely crucial for this team. And we've talked basically every time Kentucky has struggled or lost games or, uh, you know, the offense has been uh, floundering or whatever the case was, it almost always had to do with whatever Jacob Toppin was doing when he was engaged defensively, when he was, uh, you know, looking to be a rim runner and, and playing above the rim and knocking down shots. And, and I mean, don't look now, but I, I think he's like shooting 40 plus percent from three in SEC play, which is a huge development for a guy that had just simply refused to take them earlier on in the year. So it's little things like that, that make you comfortable with, you know, Chris, Chris not needing to take a step up and be a, a 25 minute per game guy at the four he can now be the complement to Jacob Toppin and play three real minutes of the three because he's also attacking the basket and, you know, doing different things that Chris wasn't doing earlier on in the year. So those you needed to have somebody at the four step up, but also you needed his backup to step up because Damian Collins wasn't emerging as that guy. Lance Ware wasn't obviously, you know, him and Oscar Sheway weren't working together as, at the four and five. That that four piece was, I think, the biggest biggest question mark all season long and, and a, a key to a lot of Kentucky struggles. Now that Jacob has kind of embraced that and, and he's kind of thriving in that role, even if he's not scoring 20 and 15 a, a game, but if he's getting you 10 and 8 or 10 and 5 or 8 and 10 or whatever the case is, that's enough, especially with what Chris has given you as of late. I think that's plenty for this team to actually you know feel confident about his postseason chances. I agree. And uh, you're starting like uh, we, we talked. I know I talked about it in recent weeks that you combine some of these guys into one role instead of individual roles. And what you're getting out of Chris and Jacob together is, I mean, it's different difference making numbers, whether it be scoring points, uh, rebounding from both of them, I think has been important, especially Chris. Like I, I feel like Chris can put that type of production on the glass almost every game if he wants to. And to me, it wasn't as much the defensive glass as it was the the offensive glass. There were a couple of rebounds at times where he was soaring right there at the rim. And he, I know he drew a foul on one of them and got to the free throw line. So I think that is a way that he can impact the game as well. And, you know, Cal and these coaches are going to turn on that tape and show him like this, this is who you can be. Like you can be this guy going and getting six, seven, eight rebounds a game. If he's playing a lot of minutes, Jacob doing that. Uh, and, and, and Antonio Reeves, I thought he had a big shot late when Tennessee was trying to make a run there, they ran some of that floppy action to him. I think at the time they called it two, it was two circle because he was running the two. Uh, but I thought he had a big shot, obviously. I know he picked up some fouls there early in the first half, and that's what kind of forced John Calipari to play a little bit of different lineups. So I think over the course of the last couple of weeks, all of these guys have had a moment, right? Even Damian Collins has had his moment where he stepped in and, and came up with a with some big minutes late in games and, and when he's in spot minutes when he needed to play. I thought Lance – uh, did some things well Saturday and, and so in a limited role. So everyone's kind of chipping in right now. It's all hands on deck, and that's what it takes to get back on track, especially when you're playing shorthanded. And Kentucky's got a lot of guys doing a lot of good things. And are all of them going to play well every single night, Jack? No, they're not. But you don't have to as long as you don't just have dead spots across your roster. You've got to have some guys playing well, especially your stars like Kaysen Wallace. If Kaysen's playing like that, Kentucky's going to have a chance to beat anyone. And uh, – the thing that you look around college basketball right now, tell me a team 
in college basketball that if Kentucky gets on a neutral floor, regardless of seeding, and they play well, and its best players play well, do you think Kentucky cannot beat? The only one that, I mean, everybody kind of fears right now is Alabama. Like Absolutely. even Purdue, Purdue has who has the national player of the year in Zach Eady, and I do think that that matchup would be troublesome because I do think that Zach would get Oscar in pretty significant foul trouble pretty quickly, and, and that could be a huge mismatch uh, in that regard. But Purdue doesn't scare me. And, and Alabama, the only reason why they, they scare me is – uh, you know, because they they play a style of of, of play that that really hurts Kentucky, and, and they especially haven't shown Oscar. that they could really that that they could really shut down. And especially with Oscar and his defensive struggles in, in that game, especially that was the worst we saw Oscar all season. So, really, that's the only team. But if you're looking for a positive of that, is that that's also a team that could go cold at any time. And you know, if they're not making shots, they're beatable. They're they're vulnerable. And, and those teams don't usually make it in the NCAA tournament. So that's that's where my optimism comes from is this is the, the lowest overall feel that I've seen in a really long time. And, and if there was ever a time for an eight seed or a nine seed or whatever Kentucky is going to end up being to make a run, this is the season to do it because there, there aren't any real juggernauts that you go, well, if Kentucky gets matched up against them, they're screwed. Yeah, this is the year where you're not looking and saying, "Well, they're a nine. Ooh, you got to be to one the second game." You're you're looking, okay, well, let's just get in the tournament. Whether we're a ten, a nine, an eight, or a seven, it doesn't matter. Just make the field and be playing your best basketball. But you know, I threw out the question that which team kind of scares you away if Kentucky's playing well. And then hold on, I thought I sorry, I thought I got kicked out for a second, but I'm back. Um, which when you're talking about teams that that you fear, there's really not one. But also, you can throw that on the other side of this and say, if Kentucky's not playing well, name a team that couldn't beat them. <laughs> a lot, a lot can. So that's the that's the thing. Like you got to be playing well. If they're playing well, they're going to have a chance to beat anyone. If their dudes aren't playing well, mm, it's going to be tough. Like that's the margin for error is still thin. But this is still a team that I think that you don't want to see in your bracket if you're one of the bigger name teams in college basketball or you're one of those higher seeds, if you're looking up at Kentucky's a seven and you got them in the second game, regardless of where that game's been played at, you're probably thinking, man, that's that's not who you want to be dealing with the first week in the NCAA tournament. Kentucky still has a chance, and uh, they, have, they still have three weeks to continue getting better and developing, adding to their resume, getting better as a team, working on some things. Uh, I'm, I'm a lot more optimistic today than what I was about seven days ago. And we've also seen this thing shift. I don't want to come back here again on Wednesday and or Thursday or whatever day and say, okay, mm, you let you wasted a good run and then you lose to, to someone, you lose to Florida. You want to keep building this without Colin Castleton. Without Colin Castleton. Don't give me a reason to go back down that rabbit hole and start saying, oh man, I started to believe that they had turned it around and then you get kicked back down a notch. This needs to be the last bump in the road was Georgia. They can still lose a game or two, but you can't play poorly and look the way they did that day. That has to be behind them. You can't do that again. There were a couple questions on here about, you know, just what this team ceiling is in, in terms of seeding. And um, I guess it's a good question for you. You got a quad one game in, Ga in Gainesville on Wednesday, Saturday, quad one at home. It's right on the cusp of a quad one. So you kind of want – Auburn to win all of the other games outside of obviously on Saturday to, to stick right in that top 30 line. They're, they're sitting at number 30 right now. 
uh, Vandy at home, which surprisingly, I wouldn't be shocked if it's so they're 88 right now on the net. They, they have to get to 75 to get that game uh, on the road back on January 24th. If they can get up to t- to 75, then that turns into a quad one on the road. Uh, I, th- I think it's probably unlikely, but it, it, that one's going to be close. And, and then you have quad one game uh, in Fayetteville at Arkansas uh, to close out the regular season. Say Kentucky continues this run. You believe John Calipari that, you know, we just had to get, get you know, get our, our feet under, feet wet, get our feet underneath us and, and really get some momentum rolling. Say they finish this thing out and, you know, get to the championship game of the SEC tournament. What is this team's SEC, NCAA tournament, uh, I guess, seeding ceiling? So if they finish, if they win out the regular season and then win out, is that winning the SEC tournament or getting to the finals? Yeah. Oh. Well, I guess we've known that winning the whole thing doesn't, doesn't really matter. matter. So, yeah. so getting getting to the last day, I guess. So that would mean six more wins, because they would get a double bye in the SEC tournament, correct? If they went out, so correct. they'd yep. win Friday, Saturday. So there'd be six more wins. You would probably pick up quad one wins on a neutral floor by that point in the SEC tournament, unless there's some upsets along the way. Mm. I think your ceiling is probably sitting somewhere. I think you could climb it all the way to a five, maybe a six, five or six. I think that's somewhere in, in the ballpark of that. I don't know. I would say six to be safe. I think five would still be high just because they don't have anything to show for in the non-conference. But I, I think six would be a safe bet. That's how high it could get. Man, if you tell me that considering where we were a week ago, that we could climb up to seven the, the seven range where you, you knock off an 11 in the opening uh, in, in the opening or a 10 in the opening round. And then you get the two in the round of 32, right? Yep. If, if so you get that. And then you, so if you're, if you're telling me you can face off against a two, which they're not any of the current seed lines and none of the two scare me right now. So if you can tell me that you get that chance path to a, a sweet 16, I think seven's kind of that magic number right now. And, you know, yeah. shoot, even if you're an eight at that point, then you take on the, the one in the round of 32. And it's kind of like that, you know, 2014 year where you beat Wichita State in, in the round of 32. And then the the path kind of sets up for you. But uh, I, I think a seven would be about as beautiful as you could ask for, considering where things were when we left Athens a week, a week ago. And I think a seven's in play, even if they lose a game somewhere here closing the regular season, if they if they do it in maybe a competitive fashion. Like, let's say that they lose on the road at Arkansas to close the regular season and they bounce back and play well in the SEC tournament. I think a seven's still in play. Um, I think they're going to – I honestly think they're going to be outside of the double-digit seed range if they win a couple of games this week. I don't think they'll fall back to anywhere near a 10 or 11 if they beat Florida and they beat Auburn at Rupp Arena and then they get Vandy at Rupp. So then you're talking about a, a winning streak here. Uh, with a lot of quad one wins mixed in there. So then your your the committee doesn't take into account, it doesn't look at Kentucky early in the season. It looks at what Kentucky has been late in the season in a league that has prevent, presented a lot of quad one opportunities. So then Kentucky's playing well in SEC play. And I think that that kind of puts Kentucky in that ballpark of being a, a seven, most likely being a seven or eight. If they win out, then I do think a six is probably where it's capped unless a lot shakes out and you see some – teams fall off that seed line, maybe lose early in their conference tournament. Kentucky's still playing in their conference tournament, racking up quad ones, maybe a five. But I would say a six is probably where it 
is the highest it can get. But I'm starting to think that a seven or eight is most likely where they'll fall if they play well down the stretch. Yeah, and, you know, Arkansas, that game is is obviously one that we've had circled on our calendars from the very beginning, thinking, oh, man, that, that trip to Fayetteville is going to be difficult playing against really talented freshmen. Nick Smith returning to that lineup has kind of thrown them out of whack a little bit. And, you know, he has not been – so the beauty of Nick Smith was that he was one of the best just go-get-you-a-bucket guys, and those guys always perform extremely well in March. But the issue with him is he is unbelievably – poor tunnel vision and and at times he kind of shoots his teams out of you know kind of like the Archie Goodwin syndrome where he does a lot of really good things but in crucial moments he kind of gets that tunnel vision and and turns the ball over takes bad shots or drives in and just jacks stuff up hoping for the best hoping to draw a foul or whatever and he doesn't get it Uh, and that's kind of the the downfall of Nick Smith and if you take the ball you know, put the ball in his hands and take it out of Anthony Black or Ricky Council or, you know, what some of their other standouts, then it, it kind of makes them a little bit more vulnerable as well. So that's that's a team that I, I'm keeping a close eye on, how they close out the regular season. They've been okay, not great since he, his return. Uh, lost uh, against Mississippi State at, ten, at Texas A&M and then beat Florida. Uh, and in that game against Florida, he only went 10 points, 33% shooting in 32 minutes. So, uh, how they close out the regular season, I think, will be huge. And I, I'm kind of excited to see how that matchup is going to be uh, with, with Kentucky and kind of those, you know, I think the, the last game against Arkansas, all of the freshmen played really, really well. Their Burger Boys played really well, and Kentucky's Burger Boys play, played really well. So uh, seeing how that dynamic shifts with another one being added to the fold in Nick Smith, uh, that's definitely one that I have my eyes on. Yeah, and that's that's a game that when the schedule was released that we kind of circled and said could just determine the league champion early in the season. And we, we looked at it as two possible Final Four teams and playing in the final Saturday of the season in Fayetteville going into the SEC tournament. I mean, uh, Kentucky's got some exciting games coming up here down the stretch. A big one coming up against Florida that you want to continue taking steps in the right direction. You want to win one here on the road. Uh, against a quality opponent and uh, get another win and just keep winning. Just keep winning and keep racking up wins as you head towards March. And it's hard to believe we're already at this point in the season uh, where bubble talk is at an all-time high for the, the the season and you're finally starting to pay attention to who's in and who's out. It didn't matter six weeks ago who Joe Lenardi had in that first four out or the last four in, but now it matters and every single night impacts that. Games tonight impact it. Games tomorrow night impact it. And uh, that's when it's the fun time of year. And, K- and Kentucky is finally on the right side of that NCAA tournament bubble, Jack. And I know that's something that a week and a half ago we we were kind of wondering, are, are they even going to be in that last four in or first four out graphic? If they lose another game, they could have been a significant hole trying to play its way out of. But credit to them. They got it together, picked up a much-needed win on the road at Mississippi State, followed it with an even more impressive win against Tennessee at Rupp. And the, the Cats are playing well right now and at the perfect time. Answer a couple of questions from the feed. You guys, uh, there are a ton of them in there. The last couple of shows that we've done, the, the feedback has just been unreal as as it's gone on. So keep those coming. We'll try to answer as many as we can uh, before the, the show runs out. Um, of course, I just had it. I was scrolling through all of them. Um, but they, they brought up the, the possibility of, of just how much better. Yeah, K, uh, KY Cats 06 says, how much better realistically can Livingston get? Uh, Sean, I think that's a really good question because he does kind of seem like a high floor, low ceiling kind of guy. Um, but he has pro- progressed so well that I'm curious what, what you think his ceiling is uh, to close out the regular season and go into the postseason. Oh, man. If, if he rebounds the way that he did against Tennessee, then I think that his impact 
is significant, just given his frame and, and the, the position he plays on the floor, some versatility there to to play the three, to play the four, and uh, get to the free throw line with that body, but make free throws when you get there. Like I, I think that there's still a lot of room for growth in his game over the course of the next four weeks or five weeks, however long Kentucky's playing basketball, hopefully all the way into April. Uh, but I still think that there's a lot of growth that he can add to his game. But I'm looking for consistency from him. And it's honestly, it, it's it's an E-word. It's energy and effort. If if he's given energy and effort, whether he has the ball or he doesn't have the ball, defending, hitting the glass, then I think that you're going to have to have him on the floor for a significant amount of time for each and every game just because I think his potential and his upside is higher than some of the other guys on this roster. And his impact Saturday I thought was one of the biggest differences and one of the biggest reasons Kentucky was able to have that cushion against Tennessee the entire time. And a big part of it is and we talked to Oscar Shibway after the win, and, and he brought up uh, just kind of how teams are playing him right now and just going two, three bodies on, a, especially a team like Tennessee. They do play so physical and, and they are so big bodied. And, uh, you know, that they tried to take Oscar out of the game as much as possible um, with Euros uh, Plavsic. And because of that, and, and Oscar brought up, said, you know, they were having two, three bodies on me at, at all at all times in I accepted that because I knew that if I had two or three guys on me at once, there's an open lane to the basket that nobody else is accounting for right now. And that's where Chris Livingston thrived the most, either attacking the basket, finding mismatches with guards, you know, posting guards up. Uh, Case had a couple post-up opportunities because of the space that Oscar was creating elsewhere. Uh, but really just the, the putbacks that, that Chris was able to get, uh, that was entirely because of the energy that they were focusing in on, on Oscar. If teams continue to try to take Oscar out of the games, and that's we've seen that a lot this year, Chris has to be that guy. And I think that's, again, we were missing that four spot while they were taking Oscar out of the game. There, We weren't getting the production, the consistency out of that four spot to really kind of muck everything else up around it. Uh, and now that Chris has kind of emerged as that kind of energy guy, I'm going to go give you a, an offensive rebound. I'm going to be the cleanup specialist. I think that's going to force them to kind of account more for Chris and, you know, open up the opportunities for more one-on-ones with Oscar and let him eat in the way that he was. And I think it's going to be a lot, you know, a lot more complimentary basketball because of it. So uh, I, that's what I'm leaning on with Chris. Just keep attacking that and, and forcing them to counter you. Uh, unlike uh, we, we saw from him, I guess, even just two, three weeks ago. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and honestly, I think the four spot on this roster should be one of the most consistent spots. Just be given Oscar's going to require so much attention. And we know that Oscar's numbers and his production, and he's not had the crazy games like he had a year ago consistently. Like we know that he's had great games, but he's also had moments where he struggled. And that's because there's a full season of scouting reports and, and everything. And every coach talks before they play Kentucky. Hey, what did you do to negate some of the things he does? What did you do? And, and we all know that, that is Kentucky's scouts are geared toward keeping Oscar in check. Uh, when it comes to the backcourt and the shooting, the shooting's not going to be there every single night, but I think the production from the four should be one of the most consistent things about Kentucky's roster because it's kind of the, the, the free most spot on the floor. You rebound and you defend and you make high energy plays, which is dunks like Jacob Toppin did Saturday, offensive rebounding, getting to the free throw line, those are the easy areas to make an impact in the game of basketball because they're all tied to effort. And that's why I think that those two guys, if they commit to that and they defend and they rebound and they run, I think Jacob Toppin and Chris Livingston could be the key to what Kentucky does in the NCAA tournament. If you get good production from the four spot, 
you got to have great guard play, and Kentucky has a guy that can they can lean on in the backcourt. And I want to see Kaysen now play six really solid basketball games in a row. I know he didn't play well at Georgia, didn't get a bucket till late in the game. Good game, Mississippi State. Great game against Tennessee, especially first half. Keep it going. Play some really good basketball here. These last four put six really good games together going into the SEC tournament from your point guard spot. Then you're feeling really good about your guards. But I want to see this four spot continue to be a combined effort. Three and four spot, whoever it is. Put them together, combine them, look at their numbers, rebounds, points, and let's see. And you need a double-double from those guys every single night combined. Martin Robert asked, James, can we find rim protection? I guess at this point in the year, is that even something that we can rely on? Or is it just kind of – it is what it is at this point, and you you have to hope that everything else works around that to 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 not make that such a significant issue as it, as it has been at times, unfortunately, this season? I honestly don't know if you can find it. I think it's more so you find a way to negate it. If, if it's, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like d- rebound, defensive rebound. Don't give up second chance opportunities because if you're, I mean, that, that's where it's going to hurt you, I think, uh, especially you, you defend the three-point line. There's other areas Kentucky continue, needs to continue to get better in pick and roll and, and ball screen coverage down the stretch here and, and what they're wanting to do defensively. I think uh, it, this isn't going to be a team that I think that's going to get a lo- affect a lot of shots at the rim. And we know that that's not Oscar's thing. But sh- what you do is you need to limit teams to one shot and done. And if Kentucky yeah. becomes a, an elite defensive rebounding team, then I don't think the the need for rim protection is really there. I, I don't think that it's as, as much uh, a requirement what you need. So I think being become an elite defensive rebounding team, you got one of the best rebounders in college basketball history down there. You got Chris and Jacob chipping in, doing their things. Let these guards case in rebounds. I think you had six the other day in the win against Tennessee and six assists. So you can you make that a total team effort on the defensive glass, and I think you can kind of negate uh, some of the need for rim protection if you just limit teams to one shot and done and no second chance opportunities. And then hit your free throws. It's another area. You get to the free throw line, hit them. They had a really good stretch there, and then they went really cold at the free throw line late. So uh, you hit the free throws and be an elite rebounding team. And I, and I just continue just to get better on the defensive end. The offensive efficiency is there. Mm-hmm. Just now the defensive efficiency needs to come along. The offensive efficiency, the offense is no longer an issue. Like they're scoring points and they're efficient and they're doing things. I think offensively, Kentucky is now 17 in the country and adjusted offense, which we've talked in the past top 20 is kind of that magic line that you're looking for uh, in terms of efficiency, uh, offensive and defensive efficiency. They're not close uh, defensive, unfortunately. They are, uh, I believe, of course, now it just, oh, I pulled up the 2002 stats. And in case you were curious, Kentucky was 22nd defensively that year. So, um, but but definitely not this. Um, this this season, Kentucky is 87 in adjusted defense. So that needs to get better. It's not going to get up to top 20. Uh, but you got to get growth in that area. I, I think it was a, definitely a step in the right direction. Kentucky had a defensive clinic in the first half against Tennessee, um, holding the Volunteers to 25.9% shooting overall, 7.7% from three. And then they go four for eight from the line, really just take them out of the game completely. Uh, I guess, Sean, to close out the year, how do you emulate what worked in the first half, especially against Tennessee, and take out the Santiago Viscovi, you know, lightning rod for first eight minutes of that, and then the last 12 was, was solid. How do you get the, the last 12 minutes of the game and the 
first 20 minutes of the game? Attention to detail, I think, is make a, con- make a consistent effort to do whatever it takes as a team to defend at the highest level. And that all comes down to scouting report. And we know that every single opponent changes. Your, your ball screen coverage, the way that you do things, uh, whether you're going under screens on certain guys, going over screens, if you're jump switching things, if you're fronting the post, if you're three-quarter, it, it all depends on the scout. And I think that this is a team that's full of veteran players that have played a lot of college basketball. And you have a an on-ball defender in Casey Wallace that can create a lot of havoc. And you've, you've got some guys that are capable defenders. I think, honestly, it's just an attention to detail thing. If they commit to that end of the floor and come together as a team and do it, then I think that this is a team that you can throw out the Ken Palm number maybe at some point and just put a stretch of really good defensive numbers together. Like whatever Ken Palm is here going into the SEC tournament, I don't want to – we did this a year ago, right? We talked about how efficient they were offensively and other things, and then they looked when they played St. Peter's in some games late in the season. So then those numbers didn't add up when you looked at them. Make Kind of flip that and and just be playing good defensive basketball and kind of look at their efficiency in a shorter sample. Like their offensive efficiency efficiency right now over the last, what, so many games is I think seventh in offensive efficiency Mm -hmm. since the loss to South Carolina. So instead of 17th, it's 7th since that. So let's look at those numbers in a smaller sample size and let's see how Kentucky's defending over the stretch of play for the next four or five games. That's what I'm wanting to see, some improvement and where are they in that short span of a couple of weeks because the overall number is not going to, ever, is not going to be pleasing to us when it comes to making a run in the NCAA tournament. A uh, couple questions about Damian Collins, and and I guess so. There are a couple questions. John P. Ryan says anything new with Reeves uh, and Collins' decisions for next year, uh, and then um, a couple people asked about why Onyenso hasn't played, and if if Damian can be that guy. Uh, so I guess you answer the question first about if there's any role for Damian and and or Ugana to close out the regular season, um, and then I'll address the whether they come uh, Antonio and. I guess Damien stay or go decision. I feel Damien has a role. I don't know if it's a significant role, but I ha- I feel like and he went in look he went in the other day and made a beautiful pass, and then had great energy after he made the pass. He was fired up about it, and we've seen him go in and spot minutes and and play well and and hit free throws and and get a couple of rebounds and run to the rim and get a dunk or something like that or a highlight play. He feels like a he feels like a guy to me that could go a game and give you nine to 10 minutes and they could go another game and maybe play two minutes, but that's still a role depending on foul trouble and situational basketball and what you're looking for, depending on who you're playing against. Like if Kentucky plays Alabama again, you've got to play Damian Collins. Like, I just think that he would, he fits that game better than Oscar Sheboy does at times. Now we know Oscar is going to be on the floor if they play Alabama again, but games like situations like that, I feel like there's a role for him. I don't know as much about, Onyenso, I, I feel like Damien's probably the safer pick if Kentucky needs something in a two- or three-minute window or a Lance Ware in a two- or three-minute window or stretch there. So I, I do think that there's some guys – look at Adutiero. Like, his role has been kind of all over the place this year. It's been as needed when Kentucky was thin on the road at Tennessee. He played some important minutes. Against Tennessee at Rupp Arena, played some important minutes. So I, I think those guys have roles. They don't have to make massive impacts. They just have to be stable pieces that kind of hold the fort down and get Kentucky to situations where they can survive 
a stretch of play without whoever's out and they're having to be in. I think that's the role that Damian could play. Um, I guess to answer the other side of that about stay or go decisions, I think Damian has one of the most interesting decisions to make this offseason because when you lose, when, when you're in, in his position and lose somebody like your dad, at some point, the people that you're around at that moment become your family and become, you know, John Calipari becomes your father figure and all of the teammates become your brothers and kind of uh, they are the reasons why, you know, pulling you through the, the darkest time of your life. So some people kind of shell up and they say, yeah, I need to get back home and be with my sisters and be with my mom and take care of them. But some people kind of use the the family support that they have in Lexington. And, that, and that's what I've heard has been the case that, you know, Damon was in a really, really, really dark place, the darkest place you could possibly be in at that time. And the teammates around him have really rallied uh, around him and, and have kind of put him in position to, you know, confidently take steps forward. And even though the produ- production kind of took a hit and, and stalled out a little bit because of obvious reasons, uh, when something like that happens to you, all everything is thrown out the door and it, whatever you can get out of him at that point moving forward, is is it's all gravy. And I think that's where things are right now, that he's in a really safe spot uh, around people that he cares about and, and a, a family-like atmosphere. So I think at the time I was – absolutely convinced that that it, it was a done deal that he was going to leave uh, this offseason that he was just going to get home and, and be with family and, and be around his support system back home but I think he has really found a family support system down here that leads me to believe that I think a possibility of, of returning is definitely a lot more on the table than I was ex- expecting so I still think it's going to be kind of one of those game time decisions when when the offseason rolls around and he is back around his family back home, if he needs, thinks that he needs to be home for them. Um, but he, he isn't itching to get home, I guess is the best way to put it, which is a great thing because mentally he just needs to be where, where he is and, and, and where he's most comfortable. And uh, he is very comfortable right now and, and definitely in a better spot than he was to start the year. So uh, long story short, still definitely very much 50, 50 with him, but uh, a lot of progress is, been made that 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 possibility is a lot more on the table than than it was i mean certainly back in november and december uh antonio reeves kentucky is going to actively recruit him and recruit him very very hard to come back um he came in on a two-year plan but then i think exceeded his own expectations when he got here uh and and that kind of changed things on his own end where you, you know he kind of thought, well, if, if I can do this at this level and I'm dominating in practices and in pick up scrimmages against these guys and, you know, play as well as he did in the Bahamas, then maybe I can do it in the league. So I think now it's going to be about kind of finding that middle ground with him and saying, there's a lot for you to work on. There's a lot for you to get better with. Um, you know, he isn't a polished product. He's not a perfect product right now, but uh, he still is unbelievably productive and his floor is very, very high as a scorer. And I think we're, recruiting him back to Kentucky is going to be a huge priority for this team. But I guess, Sean, my next question for you is how do you see him if he does make the decision to come back, which I I, I know that it's probably close to 50-50, but I think Kentucky's going to ultimately talk him into it. What do you think the impact could be on him on next season's team, knowing that you have DJ Wagner, Rob Dillingham, Justin Edwards, the you know Reed Shepard, the other guards that they have coming in? Well, I think that's the biggest question, right, is I think Antonio's got to see a fit and a role that 
where he can step in and, and provide an impact on next year's roster because there's a lot of talented guys coming in that we know are going to get minutes. But if you get that guy back and then what, you know, CJ Frederick, like there's, there's a lot of, there's multiple decisions here that can kind of impact where Kentucky's at next year. And we know that Rob Dillingham and DJ Wagner, Justin Edwards are going to be three guys that are going to play a lot of minutes on next year's Kentucky team. And I think Reed Shepard could play his way into some significant minutes again or uh, next season as well. So that's going to be the key. But if Antonio does come back, it gives Kentucky an, another score. A uh, guy that's in the program and been in the program for uh, a full season and uh, had some success. And I want to see how this thing closes out. What's the run that Reeves goes on? Does he hit big shots for Kentucky in postseason play? Uh, there's some important stay or go decisions that not just for guys within key roles right now, but uh, some rotational pieces for next year's roster that that could really add – to what Kentucky could be a year from now. And I think Reeves is one of those most important pieces that could be a, a key component to what Kentucky does rotation-wise, especially in the backcourt. So I'd love to see him back. And I do think that's a great point because it is such an up-in-the-air thing, especially considering the trajectory of this season, where things were a month ago, where things were a week ago, where things are now, how things could be in the last four regular season games, Mark, you know, SEC tournament, March Madness. If Chris Livingston averages 15 and eight to close out the regular season and explodes in March, then that guy's going pro. Like the, he yeah. came in wanting to go pro after a year, he will yeah. go pro. So, and if he does that, Kentucky's probably making a run the NCAA tournament, most likely. Yeah. 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 So that's important to keep in mind. If Antonio Reeves improves, there's a lot of talk about his defense. And, and I'll ask you uh, that where his defensive struggles have come, for, come from. Is that kind of a mentality thing or is it? a physical thing that he just has those limitations uh, defensively real quick uh, on that. But if, if Antonio Reeves explodes uh, in March Madness, he kind of becomes a guy who goes hot for 25, 27, 28 in a tournament game. Maybe he becomes a guy that NBA teams go, Hmm, what can he be for us in a kind of a, a bench role? Michael Mulder was on an yeah. NBA roster for, for some time. And, you know, guys like that, they they find their footing in the league. They if do. you can just be a spark plug kind of energy, you can make you know, shots. Score, if you can be a microwave scorer off the bench, you have a role. Uh, and so that's definitely something to keep in mind. But I guess the the defensive struggles. Where do you think those well, come from? With him? And, and defensively too, I think a lot of it has been in the past. Is is Antonio Reeves ever been called upon to have to defend at a high level? And we know it. You know, Illinois State, it was score the ball, score the ball, score the ball. You you weren't taking that dude off the floor if he was getting beat defensively. You couldn't. Like, that was your that was your microwave guy. That was your score. So, I think a lot of it does come down to attention to detail and consistency and being called upon to have to defend for 40 minutes. If you play 28 minutes, you better defend for all 28 of them or you're not going to play for John Calipari. He's going to have you on the bench and somebody else is going to be in there in that spot. So, I think some of that is just – I mean, you're having, you have to do so much more – as a player at a place like Kentucky than you do at some other places. And that's no knock on, you know, smaller programs or mid-majors or anything like it. But that player that is scoring a ton of points at a mid-major school, you are keeping them on the floor regardless of what they are on the defensive end of the floor. You get to a place like Kentucky, if you can't defend in the SEC or you can't defend in the ACC consistently, consistently every single night, uh, then you have a weak spot and every single coach knows it and they're going to attack it. And look, Reeves isn't putting up 20, 21 points like he did to Illinois State. He's still having big games and big moments, but it's not enough to overcome some defensive struggles. So then you see Cal kind of look elsewhere and do some different things. So I think a lot of it is just 
you're asked to do more at a place like Kentucky. And I think that's a hard thing to get adjusted to. I think that's one of the biggest things from the transfer portal is guys just, it's just a different level when you move up from mid-major or so to the SEC or the ACC or the Big 12. It's just different every single night. And you go from scoring 20 points a game to maybe nine or 10. You have to do some other things to keep you on the floor for extended minutes too. Uh, John P. Ryan asked, what role would Collins have with Bradshaw and, and Ugana coming back? It's a great question. There were a couple other questions about what Oscar has to do. And if uh, Connor Riggs says, if Oscar wants to return, do you think Cal tries to convince him to go pro or will he accept him back? Uh, it can make for a, a, the big man room really crowded. Look, there, there are a lot of paths to this to make this a really, really crowded roster where attrition will have to happen somewhere. Yeah. Um, and I think that's it, it made a lot of sense to, um, you know, talk at the time when Chris Livingston was struggling the, the way he was. And, you know, the, the transfer rumors came out. It almost like accounted for, OK, well, there's where one of those bodies were going to come from. And with Damian Collins, you know, him being up in the air is like, OK, well, that that's obviously going to be a body uh, and something to keep in mind as well. Um now it's kind of something to think about when things are getting better in those areas and the possibility of them returning gets higher. I guess that does lead to questions of there are only 13 scholarships on the team and only so many you know rotation guys that John Calipari is willing to play. At some point, the bodies have to come from somewhere and the minutes have to come from somewhere. Who does leave at that point? And I think it is something to keep an eye on uh, how CJ returns this season. I was always told that he, you know, he had two, he has two years left. If he applies for that medical red shirt, uh, he could come back for two more seasons, but his injuries have gone, Sean. If he comes back the, the rest of the regular season and God forbid something happens with him or, um, you know, he, he just doesn't find his footing or whatever. And, you know, there, there could come a decision for him where he goes, you know, is this even worth it for me to come back and, and stay hurt? That is something to keep an eye on. I, as of right now, I think he does come back for another year because I'm also assuming that he comes back healthy and has a good march and, you know, we could kind of get to see him be the best best of, best version of him. But it is something to keep an eye on. I do think that at some point something's got to give and attrition will come from somewhere. Where do those bodies come from? I definitely think Oscar will be one of those guys. Some people were talking about the possibility of him coming back. I don't think he comes back. But uh, who? where do you see that attrition coming from? Man, that's a really good question. Uh, it has to happen, right? I mean, there's like you said, it has to happen. Uh, you're you're going to have some guys that are going to transfer. You're going to have some guys that are obviously going to make decisions to to not come back and and pursue a professional career. I don't know, Jack. It's the the key decisions like a Chris Livingston. I think is where you kind of you look at and see because I I think that one of the the biggest storylines for when we get into April is if Chris is on the verge of that stay or go decision, getting him back to go with the pieces that Kentucky has coming in next year. You, he, he has a significant role as a star on next year's Kentucky team. And I think that's a selling point that John Calipari and the staff will make to him. You know, Kaysen's going to go, he's out the door. I think we're to a point with Oscar. I just, I feel like that Oscar is, is probably more likely to go than to come back. And I, I guess maybe I, maybe I'll be wrong there, but I guess that would just be my opinion. I mean, he was the reigning national player of the year. He's not going to be 
the national player year in college basketball this year. Like what more can Oscar Shibway do for his game and stuff with another year at Kentucky. But I think that the Reeves decision and the Livingston decision are the two that I'm paying the most attention to, because if those two come back, then I feel like it's going to force some other guys to kind of have some tough decisions to make on, on where they stand, like a, a Damian Collins or a Lance Ware or whoever at, at that spot of CJ Frederick. I think that that's that those are the two that I'm looking at that could swing it because those two would significantly have, have significant roles and play a lot of minutes on next year's team. Uh, where I think that uh, the other guys that are already kind of behind those guys and the talent coming in, we know that those young pieces are going to play a lot of minutes next year on that roster. Yeah, it, you know, if Collins it's, it's does – It's a complicated and, discussion right now because we have no idea. Like, I could see it going four or five different ways, honestly. I can, and I do know that's – And Antonio on the roster together, or I could see one of them. And I could see them both leaving. If things go well for, you know, if things go well for Antonio and things don't go well for CJ, it could be one of those deals where Antonio feels the need to go pro and CJ feels the need to hang it up. Like it, it's just a really tough dynamic that I, and I know that, that the Kentucky staff, it, it's something that they are keeping an eye on. Like they know that there something's got to give with, with some of these key, key pieces and some key decisions, because of course, Ideally, you get Antonio and CJ back next year alongside Rob and uh, and DJ because how exciting would that be to have two vet scorers, two vet shooters alongside two electric five star guards? Like that's what you dream of. That's what the the hope is. And then how dope would it be to have Chris Livingston playing alongside Justin Edwards and those two feeding off of each other, and you know Aaron Bradshaw feeding off of uh, you know Damian Collins and uh and Ugo like those three together but at some point these guys want to play basketball these guys want minutes and their own touches and opportunities and uh, at some point something's got to give so I, I think it's just way too early these next four games however the SEC tournament goes then obviously how March Madness goes I mean we could see four or five decisions changed as a result of these next 10 games and technically Savir Wheeler has a year right he does. Um, but it, but that's probably I, that probably not going to happen. And that's that's yeah. the most likely not going to be on next year's roster, in my opinion, when it comes to, to backcourt pieces, other than Case and Wallace. But it should be noted that he does still have a year if if he chooses with the COVID year. So, I mean, it's yeah. there's a, there will be a lot of dominoes to fall. You've got a lot of talent coming in. And uh, I know that it is the top class but it's not of the the classes of the John Walls or the Anthony Davis classes. Like, it, yeah, it has a number one bite, and people are going to look at that and think it's like instant Final Four and national championship run. But it's the decisions that follow those guys coming in are more important than I think what's coming in. Who you add to what's coming in could make the difference in that class pursuing a national championship, whether hopefully a 10th, because hopefully you get number nine this season. But I think the the dominoes that follow the incoming freshmen are what will make Kentucky a contender or not a year from now is what happens with Reeves, what happens with, you know, other pieces, Chris Livingston. Those are the guys that I think are more important. You've already got these guys secured and it becomes recruiting the guys that you need back and you want back. Honestly, you want some attrition. That's part of the, that's mm -hmm. part of the game. That's part of that at every program, the NBA, you see it. College basketball, you see it. You see it at every sport. You have, Attrition happens every offseason, and it will happen at Kentucky just the way it always does. 
Yeah, Connor Riggs says it doesn't sound like Cal will have to do much through the transfer portal for next year's roster then. Yeah, I completely agree. I oh, yeah. I think there's a scenario where Kentucky doesn't add a single player I from the, the, the core pieces that we have right now. I think that's actually more likely than not. The only way that they do, I think, is if you lose a Reeves and a Frederick and you just want to go get a shooter. Right. I think that that's the most likely piece there. Or if you lose one of those front multiple front court pieces and you want to add a, a stretch four or a five. You just want to add some depth to go with, uh, you know, with Bradshaw and and in Uganda. Like you, you want to look and see what you've got there. But if you got Damian Collins, and you probably don't add anything to to the interior, and then you've already got Justin Edwards and, and others. So I think it it's almost by if they add anyone, it is a guy that is it excels at one thing, and it's one thing that you need, whether it's rim protection or if it's rebounding or if it's just a bench player or a shooter. And shooter's probably what you need. That's probably where you go. Ben from Kentucky says, Cal will start DJ, Livingston, Edwards, Ugana, and Bradshaw. Cal going big next year. That would be terrible. <laughs> that would be just an absolutely terrible uh, thing to unfold. I hope not. Um, but it, it does, and Dave, a uh, couple up, says, we are talking about another uh, super team. We are blessed to even be having this conversation. If Cal plays his cards right, we could – we could be in that conversation. And that that's what's kind of so exciting about this team playing where it needs to right now and kind of finding its groove at the right time. While also, it's kind of a best case scenario where the guys that you thought were going to be surefire, you know, draft picks to start the year, they've kind of underwhelmed a little bit and have at least been in the, you know, like Damian Collins, we, we went into this year saying, well, it's a guarantee he's going to be a lottery pick the way he was playing in the Bahamas pro day some of those things he was he looked like a, a clear lottery pick then what happened to him is very unfortunate and, and terrible and but it, it's also kind of created yet another like path for him to potentially come back and you, you know Chris Livingston has struggled all year long and you know the possibility of him hitting the portal was so high and then now that he's just starting to find his group but maybe not good enough to be a, a lottery pick but maybe in that conversation of where he does come back and play himself in a lottery status, you're kind of putting yourself in a real position where you kind of can have your cake and eat it too, where the team is playing where it needs to, to close out the year, but also not elite enough for, you know, individual draft talent to where they potentially come back next year and you could have kind of run things back next year as well. So it, it could be a really interesting scenario that I'm, I'm very much excited for. Um, the, the freshman alone to me, aren't enough for Kentucky to just be a national championship team next year. You need those role pieces and those contributors and the guys behind them. And I think that's where the most important roster development happens in May and April is who add, who do you add to the guys coming in. The guys coming in are great players. I mean, mm-hmm. and we talk about the depth of talent in high school and how you, you compare it from year, from one year to the next. Here's the thing about it. Every single program in college basketball is competing and taking from the same pool of talent. And Kentucky got the best from that pool. So just because there's not a John Wall or an Anthony Davis or a Carl Anthony Towns or whoever at the top of that class, that there's still really good players there. And Kentucky got the best of the best where other programs didn't. But I still think that those key, those two or three decisions, and I'll say two, that follow and add the depth to the roster. That's where Kentucky separates itself here in about a month and a half, two months, whenever those decisions start to pile up. Uh, yeah, a couple, a couple of people asked about Lance. FT says, is Lance coming back since we're looking at this? If you have 
Damian, Ugo, Aaron Bradshaw, all three back with Justin Edwards being a small ball four potential guy. If Chris Livingston decides to come back and he kind of owns that four spot playing alongside Justin Edwards at the three or vice versa. Uh, I, I mean, at, at that point, Lance probably wants to play with, you know, DJ, a guy that he kind of ended his high school career with. How cool would it be for him to end his college career with? That would be a really cool storyline. And I'm sure, you know, the, the, the friendships are there and, and the connection is there. Um, but, that, you know, that's a tough decision for him, too. Like, do you want to come back and knowingly play almost no time on the floor when, when you're a senior? Like, this is your last chance, uh, your last hurrah at, at playing college basketball. Is that really how you want to end things? I mean, it, it's a tough mm-hmm. decision. I think the expectation, I, I would probably lean more Damian goes and, and Lance comes back just for yeah. those reasons. Um, but still, it, the fact that we're even having these conversations is, is you know, something to just keep in mind because it, it is a, it's not a done deal either way. And, and there is so much time for things to swing one way or the other. Um, these last uh, close out of the regular season going into postseason. So we'll see. It's going to be a, a tough conversation and a tough, a tough, it is. Uh, but, but, but kind of, I think a fruitful conversation and, and probably a lot of rewards that could come with it because it could set up a really uh, impressive team next year that, um, I think it's kind of going to be the dream, the dream for all Kentucky fans. You get the five-star all Americans kind of front loading the roster, but also have the core veteran core veterans to kind of back things up. This has been a long process, but you're moving on from the portal with this exodus coming off this roster. You had to have the portal to hold the program together, honestly, and kind of steady it given the, off the 9-16 and 16 season. Like there was no option. There, there wasn't anything that they got Ty Washington late from high school route, but you had to go portal. I think that stretch is done here in about a month, and you won't see Kentucky live and die with the portal anymore under John Calipari. I think it will always be the high school route, and the portal will be as needed, and you won't see a point guard, a center – bench players, shooters, everything added from the portal the way Kentucky had to piece this roster together. I think those days are done. I think that that was a short window just to kind of survive and and get the program back to what it was doing with getting the best of the best from the high school route, and Kentucky did that. Kind of bridging the gap. Well, Sean, yeah. Uh, well, Sean, I think we answered like 800 questions on on – 9,000 comments on here. It's unbelievable feedback. Appreciate all the people uh, who reached out and, and asked questions. Make sure you keep doing that. The, every week we always have a blast doing that. So um, appreciate all the good feedback. It was a great show. With that, we keep talking about the SEC tournament and, and how much things can change and the, the dynamic of the, the rest of the season and where this team can be in March. It all starts in Nashville. And because of that, let's go on and uh, – have a message from our friends at Sumner County Tourism. Kentucky fans, we know you will be making your way to Nashville for the SEC tournament. We say welcome back. Experience beautiful Sumner County, Tennessee. Just minutes from Nashville. Discover our story, history, and strong country music heritage. Indulge in our delicious dining options. Relax in the simplicity of our lake. Lakes, parks, and farms connect with the authenticity of Sumner County, Tennessee. Head to visit SumnerTN.com to learn more. Sean, great show. Appreciate you jumping on with me and uh, breaking things down. Definitely, uh, it's better to to break things down positively and have good things to talk about instead of uh, how things were leaving Athens. So glad uh, glad to have you on in a positive show. Yeah, absolutely. It feels good to be back and talking about Kentucky winning basketball games. And hopefully we uh, talk about a lot more wins 
over the next couple of weeks and then get to Nashville and start talking about an NCAA tournament run. Love, love. Uh, can't, can't wait for that. And uh, love it. Before we get out here, where can fans find your work? You can find my work at GoBigBlueCountry.com and you can follow me on Twitter at GBBCountry. Find me on Twitter as well at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Reach out to me via email, jpilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. That will be back next time for the Jam Packed Sources A podcast. We will see you then.